Well, hello, wherever you're watching from around the world throughout the week, whether I get to see your smiling face in the house of the Lord, or whether you're watching on a screen, wherever you are, or listening throughout the week, we're so thankful that you are with us here today. And we already said it at our prayer time, so I'm going to have some crowd participation at the beginning because we all need it on the count of three. Not today, Satan. One, two, three. Not today, Satan. We're ready. Not today, Satan. Stan, whatever your name is. Satan, Santa, whatever. Santa, Satan, crap. Whatever you are, wherever you are, we are so thankful that you are here because even though we lost an hour of sleep and even though it's raining outside, you know what? There's a bloodstained cross in an empty tomb that says Jesus is alive today. So we can be thankful. I need that. So I'm going to tell you today more than ever, I'm going to preach to myself, uh, especially today as we continue our series, She Said, He Said, because I'm just going to be honest with you. On marriage number 15, it's just been, you know, just ready to go. I'm, I'm shooting for 21 before I, is that? No. Tough crowd. It was like blackjack hit me, right? Isn't it 15? 16, you're supposed to split, right? We shouldn't say that in the house of the Lord. Wherever you are, we're thankful that we've been in the series He Said, She Said. As we're wrapping it up today, though, just a reminder, we started off by talking about how we can fix the fight and how we can have our conflicts with each other actually lead to a better resolution. We went and learned about healthy relationships, how Jesus being the third cord in all of our relationships, not just with our spouse, is so important for us. And last week we talked about the date debate as each and every one of us can be the person that God created us to be first before we go into a marriage and search for the right person. So we're gonna start uh, with the same verse we started with all the way through Ecclesiastes 4.12 before we dive in to the word. If you wanna go ahead and get there in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, big shocker. That's where we're gonna be today. But Ecclesiastes 4.12 reminds us of Christ being the third chord. And it says this, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And as we've walked through this series and we've talked about it, no matter where you are in your relationship, every relationship with Christ at the center is a relationship destined for God's goodness, isn't it? It's a relationship that's destined for something greater than this world. As we are getting ready right now, we can look out in the world and be so focused on the temporary that we miss that creation is eternal. You know what I'm saying? Like, we miss that God made creation to be eternal, and we let the things of this world come and capture us like Adam and Eve did in the garden, and we go and try to chase what's happening right now instead of what God has planned for us for eternity. So wherever you are right now, as we dive into the word of the Lord today, I'm going to walk through for the love of. For the love of. Isn't that a connotation? Sometimes it could be a negative connotation. It could be a good one. For the love of Pete. For the love of God. I'm going to kill this child if they don't go to sleep soon, right? Like, for the love of this. For the love of everything. For the love of. And that's what we're going to walk through as we talk about not just specifically married couples. This is really going to hit you today in a good way. I believe that your marriage is going to be strengthened through this. But those who are planning to get married, this is good for us. This is every relationship when we talk about for the love of. So to get ready for that, uh, how many of us like those shows where like they pull back the curtain on the magic trick? Like I always think, all right, so for, in my brain, I went to the Big Bang Theory when Howard was doing like the car trick and Sheldon can never figure it out. Like he was, he's a genius, but he can't figure out magic. Like that there's a sleight of hand there. Like so many times we do that and doesn't it change our perspective? Like did they really saw that person in half? 
Like, and you find out there was a midget with legs like on the other side or something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just, it changes your perspective when the curtain is pulled back. And believe it or not, that plays in the house of the Lord and it plays when God talks to us because that's what we call a revelation. A revelation is when the curtain is being pulled back on something to give you something deeper, a deeper knowledge, a deeper understanding. Why am I sharing that with you today? Today, we're going to have a revelation about the love again that God is calling us to live out, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. But the deal is this. This revelation is not to be used as a weapon in your relationships, but instead as a tool to help you get better. So in other words, uh, a lot of times that Christians like to be like, talking to you, like hitting that elbow, they talk, talking about you right now. You hear they talking about you. Hey, today, let's have the perspective of not worried about the speck in our brother's eye and instead deal with that big old plank in ours and understand that this is a tool for us to live out the love that God has for us. So not a shocker, shared this before. When Paul writes 1 Corinthians 13, we always equate this with marriages. But Paul didn't actually write this for marriages. Remember, Jesus said there are two commands that fulfill the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. When Paul is writing this 1 Corinthians 13 love, he's talking about the love we're actually supposed to have for our neighbor. So, in other words, we like to do it at weddings. What if the love we had for everyone that Jesus, I need to hear this today. Jesus, you're already hitting me, Holy Spirit. What if we, the love we need to have for those who aren't in Jesus or those that Jesus places in our path is the same love that you would say you have for your spouse? Now, that doesn't mean you got to love everybody like your spouse. I'm not talking about going straight Woodstock here and like, you know, free love and like open and all. No, 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 no. We'll get to that here in a minute. But the love that we have, it is still the love that we have. Why? Because that love is not of us. It is of Christ Jesus. To have this love that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, you and I can't muster it up on our own. We can't get a Hallmark card to say it. We can't get enough chocolates. We can't have a, a, a holiday in February. We can't do any of those things. We can't have a, a Mother's Day that's coming up or a Father's Day to actually live out this love. Without Christ, this love is impossible. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 through 8. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and get there. If you don't have a Bible... Uh, we'd love to give you one free for the asking over in the garden. And we say it all the time because we mean it. Uh, you can follow along with us for free on our Vine Church app. Just go to the vine.tv slash app. It's a really cool information hub. It'll let you know everything we have going on. It's got its own Bible in there, a place for you to take notes. We'll tell you why we believe what we believe, what we're going to be doing each and every week, but also a way just once again for you to stay in contact with us. So if you're watching throughout the week, our Vine production team is going to make sure it's on the screen. If you're with me, give me an amen. 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 Let's go on the word of God. We're just going to go straight through. I know that that sounds, wow, Tyler, we're going straight through it. Yes, we're going to go straight through it. And then we're going to talk about three different types of love here that Paul talks about. Three aspects of love. It says this, verse one, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. I said, we're going to stop. Just think about that. Man, like, think about faith to move mountains. Wouldn't you say that's a good thing? But without love, it doesn't matter. Hit you. Dagger right there to the heart. Let's go. Verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor 
and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So look what Paul says. If I don't have love, no one hears me. If I don't have love, then I am nothing. Believe it or not, not only am I nothing and no one hears me, but I gain nothing if I do not have love. So all of these great things we can have, this faith displayed, this giving and sacrifice, all of these great things we can have without love, it means nothing. And then he dives into verse 4 and says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs or no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And the beginning of verse 8 says, love never fails. I don't know about you, but as we are even learning right now, we're in the world that we live in, we, wherever you are, in the world we live in, in 2008, we were told a bank would never fail again. What just happened Friday? <laughs> Two banks failed. The things of this world fails. Like, the things of this world. So this world, believe it or not, what we want in this world is surety, don't we? We want something that doesn't fail. We want something that's fail-safe. It is insured. It is paid for. And that is the cross, church. And we can only have that through Christ Jesus. Everything else in this world is going to fail you, even your spouse. It's not a shocker to those who have been married for a minute, but to those who are in the honeymoon stage of mm, kissy-poo, I love you, dun, 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 right? That's going to wear off because you know why? Somebody's not going to put the toilet seat down. And all of a sudden, somebody falls in the toilet one time, you find out. Somebody's going to squeeze the tube of toothpaste the wrong way. And it's just going to irk. Somebody's going to not replace the toilet paper. And it's only you and your spouse at home. You're going to let each other down, Right? And it wasn't the dog. Maybe it was the dog. I don't know. But wherever you are, if your dog can use toilet paper, praise be. You're awesome. But wherever you are, we're going to let each other down. And the world is looking for something that won't let us down. And those of us who are in Christ Jesus have that thing. And that thing is displayed in how we love others as ourselves, Because we get to share Christ with others. So really quick, I want to talk to us today uh, about three different aspects of love or three different types of love Paul talks about. This isn't all-inclusive, but specifically in your marriages, believing these will help you grow stronger. Wherever you are in your relationships, I believe that it will help you grow. And wherever you are on the spectrum of dating, relationships, or marriage, I believe today the, the Lord has a word for us. So these three things are kind of like an ecosystem. You know, they got to be in balance. You know, we talk about this in our bodies so much, and our bodies being labs. The best way to be healthy is to have homeostasis in your body, right? Like everything in balance. And that's what these things we're going to talk about today. So if you really want to have your relationships being balanced, the first type of love we want to talk about today, uh, and it's going to sound really weird. Those of you who are great at English, Y'all already know I fail at that miserably. So uh, here we go. The first type of love is not self-seeking love. Not self-seeking love. Look, Paul says that love is not self-seeking. We see that there in verse 5. It is not self-seeking. In other words, it is about serving your spouse. Serving your spouse. Not about how they can serve you, but serving your spouse. And not out of your similarities, but your differences. And that's what we've been building up through here, because sometimes you just want your spouse to serve you out of your similarities, right? But that doesn't quite always work out, does it? 
Like if you were both the same, who would lift each other up? How would you lift each other up? When one's down, you're both down. And even though you're on the same level, that's exciting for a minute. Somebody's got to help you up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, in other words, somebody's got to help lift you up. That's why you were there to serve with your spouse. If you ever, uh, you know, I tend to be a nerd when, when things come to this. Francis Chan talks about this when he talks about marriage. He says the greatest verse in the Bible for marriage is Philippians 2, verse 3 through 5. Just a quick synopsis. It says to, uh, for that, when he's talking about that, is we should have the same mind of Christ, putting others above ourselves If you do that in your marriage, if you will serve your spouse above yourself, I promise you, your marriage will be fulfilling, it will be lasting, and it will not end in divorce, I guess you could say. I can't guarantee anything because some marriages just don't work, but I promise you, your walk with the Lord will be stronger regardless of what happens. But if you and your spouse both wake up every morning saying, how can I serve my spouse, and you get up and you want to serve your spouse, I promise you, it's going to be really, really hard to grow apart, isn't it? So for each and every one of us, as we do that, when we talk about serving our spouse, many times when it comes to our marriages, uh, it's really easy to say, well, you don't know my spouse. You don't know them. They don't, they, they don't, they leave their shoes everywhere. You know, it's just, it's just, they don't make the bed. They don't, they don't load the dishwasher properly. There's more than one way to load the dishwasher, right? Like we have to know these things. I mean, it don't do nothing but sanitize anyway. Don't talk to me about pre-rinse because that don't matter. You need to pre-rinse. It don't do nothing but sanitize. I'm just going to tell you right now. It is. Would you go and take a shower without soap and say you clean? Okay, think about that dishwasher. Anyway, wherever you are, all it does is sanitize. I'm just telling you, it is what it is. It is what it is. So, uh, and Jesus will, will, will take me down if that's wrong. He will make sure I'm held accountable if I'm wrong on that. However, wherever you are, uh, just know that when it comes to this, for each and every one of us, we both move first when it comes to serving. If your spouse and you and your spouse are having discontent, you move first. And they move first. That's the point of covenant marriage. Like, you both move first. Husbands, you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church, willing to sacrifice yourself, die for her, for her security, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. And wives, you are to support your husbands as Christ does the church. There's a reason that matters. There's a reason that matters. It's a dynamic. It, it, it keeps rolling. It keeps the wheel going. It, it kind of makes it work for each and every one of us. So when we look at that, um, and serving, kind of when we look at our spouse, think of it this way. Uh, maybe they don't load the dishwasher the same way I do, but the dishwasher gets loaded. It's not wrong. It's just different, right? It's just different. But the dishes got washed. I mean, I had to rewash them because you didn't wash them before you put them. But anyway, well, like, like the dishes had to get washed, right? The dishes got washed. So in other words, when it comes to serving your spouse, we have to understand they have the right heart. So how does this play out for us really quickly? We talked about this the other week. Uh, with your conflicts, how men, we are, we are looking for support, and women, you are looking for security. That is usually the root cause of why you're fighting. Uh, if your wife is fighting with you, it is her security in you is out, off kilter, out of balance. And men, when you are always crabby or fighting with your wife, it has got to do with support. I mean, it, it just is what it is. Why? Well, when you're fighting, understand this. Um, men are problem, problem solvers, okay? We are wired to solve problems. Women are problem processors. Too different. You need both to happen. Like, I want to solve the problem, but what if I could have a better process to solve the problem? That's where husband and wife come together, but sometimes we'll be at odds. You never think about it. You never think about how we have to walk through this. 
We're getting ready for church for Sunday. You never think about having to get everything ready, right? You had a fight on the way into church. That's how it always is. Get the kids ready. Get in the car. You're going to have a fight about lunch in a minute. I'm just going to tell you. It is what it is. Wherever it is, there's a process that women are wired to deal with. Men are problem solvers. So instead of that being conflict, what if you could work together to push through the problems? You do that in how you live out love. So really quick, if you are married, if you aren't married, that's okay. Let's talk about four different stages of marriage really, really quickly uh, when it comes to this. And married couples, you'll probably laugh about this. Uh, this, is, this is from books of reading because, quite honestly, I really have zero life experience when it comes to this. So just let the Holy Spirit talk to you and wash over you with this. The first stage of marriage is newly married. Uh, you had a fight on the way to the honeymoon, don't lie. Usually in the limo. It's usually something happened or at the honeymoon. That's natural. It's okay. The first one to seven years is when you're newly married. You say, it's a long time. Yeah. You're considered newly married seven years. Seven years. One to seven years. When does most divorce happen in this time frame? Why? Remember attraction, connection, or compatibility, and decision we talked about last week? Depending on where that you fell in that before you made the decision to get married, and for whatever reason, if you're not connecting and compatible in this time, that is why divorce happens. And so for you to understand that, when we talk about this newly married um, time frame, what you end up doing is you start working out priorities. Your spouse is not if it's not your backup plan if other plans fall through during the day. This is what happens during this phase. Of marriage. In other words, if the golf buddies cancel, then I'll go have breakfast with my wife. If, if, if the girls have a girls' night and it cancels, then I'll stay home and have dinner with my husband. Your spouse is not your backup plan in this. God is your number one. Your spouse is number two. So what do I mean by this? We just went through it in our Bible plan, for real. It said it a lot better than I could. Um, with this, when it comes in this phase of your marriage, in this stage of your marriage, what you end up understanding and walking through is you can be very busy and your spouse still be number two outside of God being number one. It's just you get up and you make sure your spouse knows they are number two and they are served first and then everything else can fall in line. But so many times we get that shifted and mixed up, don't we? Like, I've got this to do for work today, this to do for work today, this to do for work today, and I'll see spouse sometime later. We'll get to that later. Instead, in marriages, that is how we are supposed to lift each other up. And this plays out during this newly married phase. This is where divorce comes in is because that becomes imbalanced, okay? Now, after that, some of you may go to this stage and some of you may not in your marriage, but understand where I'm coming from. And it is the raising kids family year stage. This is a... Big, big stage. It is so important if you have kids that you be on the same page, 100%. And I don't know how you do it, parents. You run zone defense, but you got to be on the same page. Why? I know that our little angels that are back there, because they are blessings. You hear me say that every day. But let me tell you something about them jokers. They know how to divide and conquer. They know which, one, which parent to ask for a snack and which parent to ask for someone to come over. Like, they know... Those little jokers, my poor mama got it both ways because there wasn't nobody to ask. It just, I just always, my, fa my first word was no, I know why. I have a big blue shirt. It's one of my favorite pictures. I'm standing on the couch with my lips pooch out, and it says no. And if you know me, that's my first word now, even all the way through. But all the way through, when it comes to that, you got to be on the same page with your kids. Why? Because when kids come in, all of a sudden, your differences are magnified. How do, we, how do we discipline our children? Where do they go to school? Do they go to preschool? Do they not go to preschool? What is it that they do? If you you kind of have those conversations before you have kids, 
But then when this little thing that doesn't come with a manual comes out, like all of a sudden, it's real. Like, it's real. If you don't deal with it, it goes crazy. You want to know the chaos of the world? It's parents not being in the same page with their kids right now to raise them. I mean, it just really is. And so wherever you are and you're going through that phase, what you have to do is you have to be on the same page and united to steward well this blessing that God has given you. And if you have kids, you'll move to this next phase. If you don't, it's okay. We'll get to you in just a moment. But if you have kids, you'll move to that next stage or phase of marriage, which is the launching or the empty nest phase. And this is where a lot of couples, even in the world that we live in, fall apart. Because you've poured so much into this child and stewarding it well, what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you, like, this person, you, many times what happens is you neglect your spouse for all those years because you're just, you're surviving. You're trying to take care of this kid. You're trying to make sure it is provided for. It knows that it's loved. And you get to this moment and you're, 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 you remember this is, you're two, you're the same people. But the problem is, like, you're like 18 years older, you're 20 years older. And you're trying to figure out how do we move forward. So maybe wherever you are, if you're in the launching or empty nest years, maybe you mentor and you encourage someone one mile marker behind. Maybe you didn't have that in the church. Maybe, maybe that somebody in the church didn't come alongside you and be like, I remember that. Hey, cherish this. I know that they're driving you crazy right now, but just know that it will end. It will end. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't have children, but like, so seeing my niece and nephew grow up, like right now, like, you know, being out of town at a competition this weekend, at a pageant this weekend, it's like, my gosh, there's only so many more of those she's got left, like, that I will be a part of in this life. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, you get there, and in the moment, it's frustrating, it's overwhelming. You're trying to figure out juggling schedules, and how do I do this? How do I do that? What in the world goes? But understand, eventually, that will end. I will say this to you, parents, and I, I don't mean to bring tears, but I'm trying to get through mine, but I'll be honest. There will be one time when it's the last time you'll, you'll tuck your child into bed before they move out. And I will tell you, parents, uh, I'm not a big hugger, you know that. But uh, there will be one time where your kid goes from hugging you to not hugging you as much. It just, it happens. So cherish everyone. Cherish everyone. I'm not talking them dying. I'm talking they get older. Their, their hugs for you turns into hugs for their spouse. Like, it's just, that's a natural progression. So wherever you are, maybe that's the launching empty nest years. Wherever you are, maybe you can encourage someone that's a, maybe it's even inside of your family that you encourage someone that's one mile marker behind. So let's keep going on. Sorry, I'm not gonna keep you here forever. Probably am. It is what it is. The last one you'll all go through in your marriage. We call that the sunset years. Uh, it means that you realize that the commercials of the actors you watched growing up now are advertising to you. So I get my gold at Roslyn Capital. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Wherever you are, right? Like that is what it, the, the cell phone companies now are the same actors you had with the big buttons. And you couldn't realize, you're just like, man, everyone at the Super Bowl found out that they're getting old this year. Because it's like, man, finally, some Super Bowls that don't stink. No, it's because you're 40. You're that target demographic. That's where we are. You just found out. Congratulations, you're getting old. So wherever that is, you get into a sunset years of your marriage. Why am I talking about this? It's not about the first I do in your marriage. As a matter of fact, it's not about the first kiss. It's about who you are at the last one. It's about how you finish. Uh, people are marrying their dogs right now. Anybody can get a marriage license and get married. Let's be real. But it's how you finish. Listen, tortoise in the hair, Aesop's fable. You know, I love talking about this. The beauty of that story is the tortoise wins every time. They both started the race. We celebrate the tortoise winning the race. Why did the tortoise win the race? Because of how the tortoise ran the race. 
That's what your marriage is. You want to finish well. That's how you get to well done, good and faithful servant. Marriage is about how you finish. Many, many, many start marriage. Very few get to the finish line. And so in the house of the Lord, I would love for us to be pointing to Jesus to finish well. So here we go. Here we go. All the way going. You still with me? Give me an amen. I see people there. I haven't had tomatoes thrown at me yet. Praise God. All right. Not self-seeking love moves to a protecting love. Protecting love. Paul talks about a protecting love, a love that protects, a love that has guardrails set up for your marriage. You have, you, have, you have God's guardrails for your marriage when it comes to a love that protects. When you're growing up, you go to the person that is your protector, right? You fall and scrape a knee, you're going to go to the person that's your protector, somebody you trust, somebody that, that is there. In your marriage, you are to go to your spouse when you're having issues, not go to someone else about the issues you're having with your spouse. One more time. You go to your spouse when you're having issues with your spouse, not to somebody else to talk about the issues you're having with your spouse. Now, I'm not talking about you don't go to counseling. People go to counseling. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying if your first instinct is to go to somebody else about your spouse, it's a sign of an imbalance in your marriage. It's a sign of a, uh, we need to have a conversation. You're not building a protective love. You're actually planting seeds of distrust. And Jesus has called us to cultivate trust. So wherever you are, when it comes to this, for your marriage, uh, we talked about this last week, uh, your mission, the reason God created you is not to be married. But when you get married... Your marriage becomes part of your mission or your calling. And so what if, you're, what if you really sought the Lord? Like many times you'll seek the Lord about the person that you marry and having a strong marriage, but have you ever thought that God has a mission for your family? God has a reason for your family. The reason you have children is a purpose. It's not just so that you can raise them well. Like there's a reason God has made this happen. He has trusted you to steward it. And so wherever you are right now, why does this matter? Ask God for a vision of the mission of your family. Ask God for a vision of the mission of your family. What is it that your family is brought together to do? I say this every time when I, I get to talk to folks who are considering marriage, and it's this. I would say the reason God brought you together is to do something through you he couldn't do when you were apart. That's why there's a mission to that. It is not the main mission that you are here, not your marriage, but it is a mission to that. Why does that matter? When you hit troubled waters, the mission of your family will make the decision to keep going forward. But if you don't have a mission and you don't know what God is calling you to as a family, it's really, really hard in troubled waters to keep going forward. And so for us, that's why it matters to have a protecting love, protecting love. How does it play out with your spouse how does it play out in your life outside of the overall picture of your family, uh, even inside of your relationships, why God has brought you together? How does it play out for married couples? Really quick. Always assume your, your spouse had the best intention. I know that we don't want to believe that. And I know that in our sinfulness, we don't like, they, they left the toilet paper off the roll on purpose. No, maybe they didn't. Maybe the kid was calling them from another room. They, maybe they didn't load the dishwasher intentionally on purpose. Maybe they did. I don't know. But you got to always assume that they had the best of intentions. Because if you don't, then all of a sudden you'll be singing Travis Tritt because you had the best intentions from the start and it still fell apart. You know what I'm saying? Like, and the, the dog in the car got repoed. I don't know how your dog gets repoed, but it did. Like, you know, it's a great country song. Whatever you are, wherever you are, that's where we'll be. So always assume your spouse has the best of intentions. Why? I'm going to give you another book because you know that's how I roll. 
Stephen Covey. Has anybody heard of Stephen Covey? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? He wrote another one, The Eighth Habit of Highly Effective People. He wrote a book called The Speed of Trust. Why do we do this? Why do we want to assume our spouse had the best of intentions? Because it builds trust. Really simple. A team or a marriage that trusts each other goes farther faster than those who don't. You, you see it everywhere. Uh, we talked about it during the Super Bowl. Sports teams do that, okay? I said Super Bowl. I don't care. They're not going to care. What a big game. We'll dub over. We'll make sure the caption says big game. Whatever. Uh, wherever it is. Uh, military. I will tell you, our military, I'm so thankful for our armed services and the men and women who go and put their lives on the line for our freedom. It is a picture of Jesus, but I'm going to be honest with you. If you ever talk to a military person or someone who serves, they are not going over there with you and I in mind. They're actually going over there with their brother and sisters in mind. The reason they bear arms is they are fighting for the brother and their sister on their right and their left. It is trust. They have to have trust. If you've ever gone to, used to be back in the day, the corporate retreats, the ropes course, you know what I'm talking about? Those kind of things. That is because they build trust with a team. So you have to build trust with your spouse. How do you build trust after you assume the best? You forgive them. Forgive them. And man, that's hard. Man, it's hard. Forgiveness is the hardest thing we will honestly do. It really, really is. Really, really is. We, we, we've walked through this before, and I'll be honest with you. Luke 6, 37 and 38 says, Do not judge, or you will be judged. Do not condemn, or you will be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken up, overflowing upon your lap. The measure with which you use, it will be measured back to you. Forgiveness. The measure with which you forgive, it will be measured back to you. What does it mean for our marriage? Well, if you're a C.S. Lewis fan, you can read The Problem of God. He talks about this. Uh, he talks about for each and every one of us. You see, we say forgiveness is so hard, and I just told you it's the hardest thing we'll ever do. But let me tell you this. You forgave yourself for your sin already this morning. Whether you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior to forgive you or not, you did. All of us do. We excuse our sin, don't we? I do all of the time. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, I, as Paul said, I'm the chief sinner among you. Trust me, I need prayer just as much as you do. But because we forgive ourselves of our sin, it's so funny we don't forgive others, though. So as C.S. Lewis talks about in the problem of God, as we are working through this idea of forgiveness, we extend the same forgiveness to others that we've given ourselves. And then all of a sudden, we'll look like Jesus because he forgave us. So forgive your spouse as much as you forgive yourself for where you've messed up. And the last thing you can do inside of this, protecting love, is you assume your spouse has the best of intentions. You do that through forgiveness. And the next thing you do is you don't get caught in comparison. Tortoise and the hare. Did the tortoise worry about where the hare was in the race? He just kept going step by step by step by step. That's true in your marriage too. Don't get caught up in other couples and, and the what they're posting on the social media. The, I'm getting so old. I just said the social. God, pray for me. The social medias on the internet, on the line, what they're doing, on the line, you know, uh, wherever that is. Uh, wherever you are, like, don't get caught in comparison. Don't get caught in comparison about your kids and somebody else's kids. You know why? Because those aren't your kids. You, you got enough to deal with with your kids. Steward them well. Hey, when it comes to you and your spouse, if you don't have kids, guess what? You chose your spouse, not anyone else. So stop comparing your spouse to someone else. 
Don't have eyes for someone else when it comes to that. You're just setting up seeds of distrust. So for each and every one of us, we can't have comparison because comparison kills your intimacy and contentment. And we live in a world of comparison. We want to go. You can't even go to the grocery store without comparing, right? Everybody's comparing everything. When that plays out in our marriage, it leaves us rudderless, missionless, and it leads us on a path to divorce. The third type of love we get to have is rejoicing love. So we start out with a not self-seeking love that serves, a protecting love that works within God's guardrails, and then we have this rejoicing love. Love rejoices, as Paul says. All of us can be happy about that. In verse 6, it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Rejoicing. We all love rejoicing, right? When we all get to heaven. Anyway. What a day of re- We want rejoicing, right? We want rejoicing, rejoicing. You want it in your marriage. You want to celebrate each other. If you can't celebrate your spouse, man, you're, on, you're, you're like a bridge over troubled waters. You know, you need something. You got you to gotta be rejoicing. How does this play out? Emotionally. You pour into each other. You spur one another on. You encourage each other when it comes to your emotional life. We've talked about how men are problem solvers. Uh, Women are problem processors, how that works together. How men are searching for support. Women, you're, you're walking through security and how those go back and forth with each other. So when I say emotional, like I said earlier, you can make your spouse number two outside of God and still live a busy life. It's making sure your spouse is served first before you do everything else. It's not so much about the quality time, it's about the quantity of quality time. And you and your spouse, once, once again, those comparison games don't need to get caught in someone else's marriage. Some marriages, they sit down and they watch a movie and they have popcorn together, and that's how they go. Some marriages sit on the bed and play on their phone, but that's how they decompress. I know that that sounds crazy, but that's what God made you. Like, you're different. That is why you were there. Dynamically, you were different. So emotionally, how does this play out for each and every one of us? Well, statistically speaking, a marriage that lasts spends at least five hours of emotional time together throughout the week. Five. That's it. That's not a lot in the grand scheme of things. Is it? That's less than an hour a day. What does that mean? Well, you're encouraging. You're you're. Once again, spurring each other on. You're building each other up through that. Divorced couples, most of the time, spent less than five hours a week together with quality time. And so why am I saying this so many times? uh, What does this look like? Like Many of us like sketch comedy, maybe. You like those sketch comedy shows, or uh, you like, uh, I'm thinking, oh, I'm getting old again. Whose line is it anyway? Like, that was always fun, right? Like, that was a fun show. But believe it or not, did you know that even the spontaneity of that was rehearsed? If you watch these things, and what do I mean by the spontaneity of it was rehearsed? Well, those guys spend a lot of time together getting to know each other, pouring into each other to almost know how they're going to react to go ahead and give it. Even when you watch things on TV, the spontaneity is rehearsed. It looks like it's not there. Uh, if you ever watch a comedian do a stand-up act, it's all rehearsed. Like they spend hours pouring over that, and it'll seem like it's spontaneous. What does that mean? Same can be true for your spouse. You're spending time together to where you know each other. You know each other so much. It'll almost seem as you go to this problem, you already know how to work through it because you're both seeking the Lord in it. That's important. So that's how you have a rejoicing love. Then the next one, everybody's ears will perk up in the house of the Lord today. It's physical rejoicing love. Let's talk about sex, baby. No, we can't do that. I was going to say that in the house of the Lord. That's the one that everybody equates marriage to inside of God's guardrails when it comes to this. 
But married couples, I, always, I like to try to share this for real with uh, those who are stepping into marriage. You got to have that conversation with each other. I know that sounds, what, what you do when you don't do that is the expectations are different. What you are doing when you have this conversation in rejoicing love and talking with each other is you are finding out how your spouse feels loved and a way to serve them, not how you want love and a way to serve you. Now you can put that on repeat and listen to that all day long. You are talking to your spouse about how they feel loved and serve them instead of how you want love and them to serve you. This is important for each and every one of us when we talk into sex being a gift of God inside of his guardrails and the confines of marriage. Because if you don't have that conversation, you can leave yourself uh, in discontent. And that is when Satan will use that distraction of attraction to somebody else. And it'll be really easy to do that. Now, so many times Christian counselors, and, and then I'm, we'll, we'll get close, we're almost at the end here. Christian counselors will tell you, they'll use Paul's verse and say, don't neglect coming together. If you want to have better marriage, just have sex all the time. That's what it is. And I will tell you, that's the worst advice in the world. That really, I know that sounds crazy. It is because what Paul is moving is Satan will use a distraction to try to attract you to someone else. It's, you need to have a conversation. You need to be on the same page. You need to be on balance with each other and have that talk, the good, the bad, the ugly. Like, that's a conversation you gotta have with each other. Because if you don't, it's just gonna leave you both in discontent. And discontent and, and discouragement is the first step of divorce. I mean, it just starts. You get discouraged, then you have discontent. You have discord where you separate from each other. Kind of, you start having disunity, and then it leads to divorce. So you gotta have that conversation. Had enough of that one? We'll move on. Uh, where we go? The next one is spiritually. Spiritually, you have to be right with God first, and your individual walk with Christ does not stop when you're married. You are still called to individually walk with Christ and grow with Christ, because as strong as you are with Christ and as strong as your spouse is with Christ, as you come together with Christ as the third cord, you will be stronger together. Your spouse is not your savior. You cannot rely on your spouse doing a quiet time for your quiet time. It's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. Kick you off my wall. Wherever you are, this is not how this works. You are still called to grow in Christ. And so when it comes to that for your spouse, why does it matter? Because your marriage represents something greater than you. It points to Christ. And so for your spouse, as you are walking in your quiet time, the word God has given you can definitely be a word for your spouse. But the word God has given your spouse is likely gonna be a word for you. And that's how you work together and point to Christ in all that you do. We see many right now. I know in this house I can see your faces and I know you. Uh, maybe you're watching online. I just want to be honest with you. Maybe your marriage, you can't figure out what's going on in your marriage. And the real thing that the problem, the real problem with, with it is this. That spiritual rejoicing love. Christ is not the center of your marriage. See, sex is a gift inside of marriage. But you see, marriage is a gift of God for us. Marriage is a gift of God for us. It is. He made Adam first, and he saw Adam was alone, and he made a mate, right? And so he brings them together. We've talked about what this covenant marriage looks like. So for each and every one of us, as we walk through that, understand that marriage is a gift from God, but understand that marriage is temporary. No, I'm not talking about, hey, I'm not calling you all to get divorced or anything like that. I'm telling you, marriage is temporary because it points to something greater, it points to a greater gift. See, marriage is temporary, but Christ is eternal. 
See, God gave us the gift of marriage, but he gave us his best gift in his son, Jesus Christ. And maybe wherever you are in your marriage, you need to get Christ back at the center. Today is the day that you put him back at the center as the third chord. Today is the day that you decide, yes, Jesus, I want you to be the third chord of my marriage. But some of us today, we've never put Christ at the center of our life. We have never confessed and repented of our sins and surrendered lordship of our our life to Christ. In other words, Christ is our treasure. He is the thing holding it all together. And so wherever you are right now, understand that God gave his best gift. Marriage, great. It's awesome. Amazing. Yes, but even greater, God said, I would rather you, instead of worrying about being in a relationship with a spouse, first be in a relationship with him. Because that's how Adam started, right? In a relationship with with him. You see, each and every one of us, we're in this space and place where we have sin in our life and we are separated from God. We are not in right relationship with God. And in spite of our best effort, we can't work our way to God. We can't earn our way to God. We can't, we can't have faith that moves mountains on our way to get in right relationship with God. We can't say the right words to get us in re- right relationship with God. We can't go and sacrifice enough to be in right relationship with God. And God said, I'm not going to leave you in that state. I'm going to make a way. And that's where John 3, 16 and 17 comes in. And and it's a familiar verse, but for each and every one of us where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish or shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The greatest gift God could give is a way for us to be in right relationship with him. See, sin was in our life and we couldn't. So Jesus comes. He lives the perfect sinless life we couldn't live, giving us righteousness, allowing us to even go into the presence of God. And because of that sin in our life, we deserve death. There had to be a sacrifice that was made. And so what ended up happening before Jesus' people had to bring sacrifices in to be right back in right relationship with God. Sometimes it was a goat, a ram, a bull, a dove. I'm so thankful we're not there anymore. But wherever it was, a sacrifice had to be made. And so Jesus came and said, not only am I going to live the perfect sinless life to help you be righteous, I'm going to do the ultimate eternal sacrifice for you on the cross. But you see, he didn't stop there. He was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to secure your salvation, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and leave an empty tomb so that you can be who you were created to be now. You don't have to wait until heaven. Your salvation is secure. Not even death itself should bring you fear or anxiety. And that's what we talk about each and every week, about accepting and receiving God's greatest gift. You can't earn it. It's not the words of the prayer we're about to say in a second. It's the faith. It's receiving this gift of salvation, saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I can't work my way to you. And because of that sin, I'm separated from you. But I believe you are who you say you are. And I surrender my life to you so that I can be in right relationship and I can live out this love that we learned about today. So with every head bow and every eye closed in this house, the reason we do this every week is for this. We're gonna pray out loud as a family, for the benefit of those who are coming to the faith for the first time. So please repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the perfect sinless life I couldn't live, died the death I deserve, paying the penalty for my sins on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step 
the rest of my life the best way I know how. With every head bow and every eye closed inside this house and wherever you're watching around the world or listening around the world today, I'm gonna ask if for the first time you can say that you have confessed and repented of your sins. You have received this free gift of salvation by faith and surrendered lordship of your life to Christ. I'm gonna ask you to boldly raise your hand if for the first time you've done that on the count of three. One, two, three. If you're in the house, you can raise your hand. If you're watching online, you may see a hand that's raised, but you can leave a hand that's raised in the comment. Hey, you can shoot us a message wherever you're watching or listening around the world. But most importantly, I wanna tell you why we want to do that. The reason that we do that is uh, not for our celebration, because I'm gonna tell you the angels in heaven are rejoicing now like never before if you have made this decision. But we wanna help you continue grow in your faith by getting you in touch with a local church. Uh, near you. So please let us know if you made that decision today. And for the rest of us, if you want to stand, uh, we're going to get ready to sing. I pray that you have been throughout this series that each and every one of our relationships uh, are going to be better than how they walked in. Each one of our marriages are stronger than how they walked in and that each and every relationship we are part of uh, will continue to grow in the Lord. So as we enter into the presence of the Lord, maybe today the Lord is pressing on you about living out that love. Would you just lay it at his feet and step into his presence? Let's sing.
that we can know that it's always been us like Jesus came if there was just if I was the only sinner Jesus would still be here to do the Father's will that I could have secure salvation as we go out in the world they're searching searching for fulfillment in relationships and money and cars and clothes and fame and street addresses we get to show them the one thing that's eternal where love never fails and that's what we're going to step into. We're going to start our Easter series, not next week, but the week after. If you join us next week, we're going to have breakfast together. It's going to be zero calorie in Jesus' name, sugar everywhere. I mean, I'm talking, I mean, you're going to have a Krispy Kreme hamburger and the Lord's going to bless it. It's going to be great. We're just going to be talking about what Jesus has in store for us in 2023 and be praying over that. So we would still love to invite you. If you want to learn what the vine is all about, come on, join us next Sunday at 10 a.m. But in two weeks, we're going to kick off our Easter series called Greater Love, where we're just going to continue building on the love uh, and talking about the love that Jesus alone has given us. We hope and pray you have an awesome week. And always remember the best is still yet to come.